Tonight we finish our series uh, in the in the book of Judges. We've been in the ser- in this book, the Old Testament book of Judges, for about a month now. And tonight I thought we'd finish with a very familiar face, a very familiar story, a very familiar judge of the name of Samson. Samson. We're going to be in Judges 13 to 16 as we finish up our time in this book. And I want to start with that question that was put up for fellowship time. Have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever been somewhere, done something, tasted something where there was a lot of hype, a lot of excitement, big expectations, but once you got there, it was like, you know, you went to a place and everyone said it was the best place in the world, and you went, it was like, yeah. you know, you taste it, you know, everyone said, go and eat this place, go and eat at this restaurant, and you went there and you tasted it, and it was like, I could have done better. I, I'll give you an example, there's so many different examples of this in, in our lives, but I wanted to give you a, a local example. Uh, anyone that lives in Chatswood would know that uh, Thursday, Fridays in the mall, there is uh, the markets, the food stalls. And out of the, all the food stores, there's one food store that smells, it, it kills every other food store. The chorizo hot dog place in front of Gelatissimo. That chorizo hot dog place has the most amazing smelling hot dogs. Like it, the smell, it literally draws you to those hot dogs. And so you are expecting this amazingly smelling hot dog to taste also as amazing. And yet when you get there and you order the chorizo hot dog, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin the story for you. It's a bit disappointing. You know, anyone that's, you know, I think many of us have fallen, you know, to that trap of that chorizo hot dog place. It's just whatever. It's, it, it seriously smells better than it tastes. Can I tell you, sometimes the greater the expectation, the greater the disappointment. Let me say that again. The greater the expectation, the greater the disappointment. If I was to summarize the story of Samson, it would be this word disappointment. Now, Samson uh, some of us would know a little bit about Samson, how Samson was the strong, buff uh, fellow. And then he gets into a bit of trouble with a lady called Delilah. Samson and Delilah. And we'll get there. But there's so much more of Samson's life before Delilah. Now, let me, let, let's, put, let's put Judges back into that cycle again. So this is the whole cycle of sin in Judges. Israel, God's people, they're serving the Lord. And then they fall to sin and idolatry. They turn away from God. And what happens then is God then lets them be. And he sells them off into into the neighboring um, enemies. And then Israel in that time of suffering will cry out to God, help us, help us. And then God, hearing those cries, will raise up a judge and through that judge, Israel will be delivered. Now, we've seen this over and over again. And it's no different with the story of Samson. They are at peace, but we see Judges 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. Again, 
again, that word, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So we see that they turn away from God. Israel once again sins again, turns away from God. And God allows them to then be enslaved by their enemy. And their enemy this time is the nation or the people group, the Philistines. Now, what we see in verse 1 is not only were they under the Philistines uh, from, 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 that perspective, or from that point, but the next 40 years, that's a long time, 40 years they are under the rule of the Philistines. Now, according to the cycle, the next step would be Israel, because of the oppression and the suffering, will cry out to God. But actually, in this story, they don't even do that. It, it, it's, it, it's like they've just given up. It's like it just got so bad. Now, you've got to remember, this has gone on and on and on and on. It's a repetition. Now, Israel is at such a dark place, they don't even cry out. And the reason is this. They've just come to the point now of accepting that they are now slaves. They don't even cry out to God for help because they just go, well, 40 years, we've been doing this for 40 years. This just must be the way it is. They've assimilated and just accepted being under the rule of an enemy. And we see that progressively the Israelites, as they go through these cycles in the time of the judges, it gets worse and worse and worse. But even though Israel does not cry out for help, God sends them a savior, a judge. And this judge will come to save the Israelites from their enemy. He will come to deliver God's people. Samson is that judge. Samson is the judge that God provides to save and deliver the Israelite people. What makes Samson a little bit different from the other judges is that, that the other judges were, uh, were brought in by God after they were born. But Samson is the only judge that is mentioned before he was born. All right? We read in Judges 13, uh, 2 to 5, God's mighty plans of deliverance through the judge Samson. Judges, uh, I'll read this, verse 2. A certain man in Zorah named Manoah, Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So we see straight away, before Samson is even born, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. Samson's mom was barren and could not have children, and yet she did. 
God in this verse shows us exactly, shows us how, how Samson is called to some special calling in his life. So, God forbids Samson to do three things. Okay, or his mom to do three things. Number one, no cutting of hair. Okay, you are not allowed to cut his hair. Secondly, no alcohol. Samson is not allowed to drink alcohol, and even his mum is not allowed to drink alcohol because, you know, when you're pregnant, if you drink alcohol, your baby can get drunk, and that's a whole big mess, right? Any, it's, it's not only wine or fermented drink. I just picked this up. No kombucha. Okay? No kombucha. And the third thing that God forbids Samson to do is touch anything dead. Because it makes him dirty. Why did God give Samson these laws or these rules? Because he had a special call on his life. It was to make him holy and separate. God had a massive plan. He had a massive plan for Samson. Judges 13, 24. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahane Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. See, as we read this story, we get excited because the judge is introduced. We get excited because the Savior of Israel is being introduced. We are excited because Samson will come to deliver God's people. Great expectation because he's got a great call on his life. But, Samson is far from this. To put it simply, Samson's life is an absolute train wreck. The famous story of Samson and Delilah and how he gets trapped and all that, we'll get to that because that's at the end of his life. But before he even gets there, his life is an absolute mess. It's, it's, it's a roller coaster of, uh, of rebellion, insecurity, anger. Um, lust. Let me just quickly mention a few things that happened in Samson's life even before he met Delilah. Judges 14.1, he, Samson, wants to marry a Philistine woman. I'm not going to go too far into it, but remember who the Philistines are, right? The Philistines are the ones that are ruling over the Israelites. They're the one oppressing the Israelites. Samson is the one that's meant to defeat the Philistines to free the people of God. And yet Samson wants to marry the enemy. And he does. This is how jacked up Samson is. Samson, uh, Samson, Judges 14, 6 to 9, we see this story where Samson gets attacked by a lion. He's attacked by a lion, but Samson's strong, right? He's got guns. And, and, and the Bible tells us that Samson literally rips the lion in two. Just rips him, right? Kills the lion then and there. And that's great. You know, it shows his strength, shows the strength that God has given him, the call on his life. But the next few verses, there's this interesting story where Samson goes back and later on, he finds honey. Uh, don't, don't, don't get me to explain this scientifically, but he finds honey in the, in the dead lion's body. And so what does he do? He scoops it and eats it and goes, mmm, 
that's good honey. That's not in the Bible. I just made that one up. You know, he, he, he scoops, and you kind of think, okay, th- th- what's so wrong about eating honey out of a dead lion? You can work that one out. What's wrong about it from Samson's perspective is that the lion was dead. And if you remember, one of the things that Samson was not allowed to do was touch anything dead. Judges 14, 19, Samson gets involved. He makes a little bet with some of the enemies. And then he gets angry because he loses the bet. And so he kills 30 of them. He just kills 30 Philistines because he got angry. Uh, just straight out of anger. In Judges 15, we see that Samson, he burns uh, all of the Philistine farms, crops. Uh, it's a fun story. He, gets, he, he catches, I think it's like 32 foxes. He catches foxes and he ties the two foxes together by the tail. As once again, use your imagination. Gets two foxes together, ties them. Oh, no, sorry, he ties a rope between the two tails and he lights something in the middle of that rope and he just lets the foxes go. And so these foxes are running around, lighting up all these farms around the the area of the Philistines, right? And then the Philistine people get really mad, obviously. And they go, who did this? And then it's like, Samson did it. And so they go to hunt down Samson. And so Samson then gets really angry. And then the Bible tells us that with the, the, the jawbone of a donkey... So just this bit of the donkey, he goes and kills a thousand Philistines. A thousand, not 30, a thousand. Okay? Now, I'm flying through Samson's life because I want to show you this. Some of his life is okay. Some of it is in line with God's call. Go and destroy the Philistines. Go and save the Israelite people. You know, when he kills a thousand or when he kills a 30 or, or, or when he lights the, 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 the farms on fire. Some of his life, is in line with the call of God. But the majority of his life is far from it. Uh, this, this guy, he, he's got no control over his anger. He's got no control over his sexual urges. Makes his life sporadic and unpredictable. He's a, he, he's a, he's a pocket rocket ready to go anytime. While he's still like this, that's when he meets Delilah. Hey there, Delilah. Anyone over the age of 30 would know that quote. Anyone under the 30, that's okay. Delilah is a Philistine woman. And uh, by the time that Samson meets Delilah, falls in love with Delilah, the Philistine uh, leaders know who Samson is. They know what he's about. And they're on to him. They know about his crazy strength. They know that they they physically can't stop Samson because he is buff. Like if you want to know buff, right? Like I can't do it, but you know, later ask Noah to take off his shirt. Buff, right? That's buff, right? <laughs> I even put that in my sermon, but I wrote that down. But they can't stop him. And so when Samson falls in love with Delilah, the Philistine leaders come to Delilah. And they said, hey, we heard that Samson has a thing for you. Let us make it worth your while. And they bribe Delilah. And they say, find out what the secret of his strength is. Find that out first. 
Now, there's so many things you can talk about when you talk about the story of Samson and Delilah. You can talk about sexuality. You can talk about um, relationships. You can even talk about, you know, male and, and female and how they, they, their brains work or don't work and whatnot, right? And it's really fun. But we see Delilah, she gets tempted and falls into the trap of money. Coincidence that a female got trapped by money? Okay, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going there. I'm just saying there's a lot of things that we can talk about. So she just sees the money, right? And so she goes to, the, uh, to Samson and says, how come you got such big muscles? Right? How come you got, how come you are so strong? Judges 16, 6. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Now, you got to think, right? Right? Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Tell me your secret, Superman, so that I can tie you up and subdue you. And Superman's like, oh, well, you know what? You know, like, let me tell you that. Right? Why would anyone be so stupid to not see what Delilah is trying to do? And we see another subplot. Men in front of women they are attracted to are blind and stupid. Maybe that's how some of us got married, but that's also another different sermon as well. Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Now, what's funny is, and I'm not going to go into it, but this story happens three times. Delilah goes, hey, how come you're so strong? And Samson, he tells Delilah why he's so strong, but he lies to her. And he says, ah, if you have this kind of rope, or if you, you know, if you tie me up in a certain way. You know, and, and, and three times she asks, three times he gives a false answer. And the funniest thing is, after every time, she actually like gets people to do it. And so he's tied up. And then she's like, hey, the Philistines are here. And then he obviously breaks out of it because it was a lie. And you got to think, right? Samson, that thing between your ears, mate, okay, is not just to hold your eyeballs there, okay? Use that brain of yours. But we see how deep, how deeply uh, blinded and insecure Samson was. It's so obvious that she's not in this relationship for him. And whether Samson was just blind, whether he was arrogant about his own strength, it just happens over and over again. It happens three times. And then the fourth time. Delilah finally wears Samson down. It's like, how, how come you keep lying to me? You're making me out like a liar. You're making me look bad, Samson. Why keep lying? Don't you love me? I thought you said you love me. I'm making all these words up, by the way. And Samson finally, after three times, on the fourth time, finally he 
tells her the truth. Verse 19. Uh, tells her the truth. I don't even have that verse. It says, if you shave my head, I will lose my power. Pretty much, something like that. I'm missing the verse. So this is what happens after. After putting him to sleep on her lap, which is a whole different sermon as well, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. It's like, Samson, like, really? Like, she tried it three times and every time you tried it, she tried to tie you up and then you broke out of it and good on you for doing that. But when you actually tell her the truth, do you really think she's not going to do that? So you really, she's not going to try and subdue you. So we see, we see that it finally happens. His head gets shaved and his strength leaves him. But we also see in the next verse, not only does the strength leave him, but in verse 20 it says, the Lord left him. The Lord left him. And so Samson has no more power. And so he finally gets captured. So what do the Philistines do? What do they do straight away with him? Gouge out his eyes. Gouge out his eyes. And then they put him to work. In the dungeon. We, we know, for those that know this story, that's not the end of the story. There's one final scene in the story. And, we, and this final scene is where I want to land, right? And it's this scene where... The Philistine people, they are cheering because their enemy, Samson, the great Samson, the one that's been setting our fields on fire and killing thousands of men with, with the jawbone of a donkey, he's finally been captured. We've taken out his iron. He's got no strength. And so they throw a massive party and they sacrifice uh, you know, bits and pieces to their god, a god called Dagon. They're partying. There's about 3,000 of them at this party. All the leaders are there. And, they, and someone goes, hey, someone go get Samson. Someone bring Samson out so he can be a part of the party. Let's all laugh at Samson. So Samson, who's in chains, who is blind, is led out into where the party is. Right? They pretty much want Samson to be the entertainment because that's the reason why they're celebrating. Samson comes out and, and everyone's waiting for him to like perform and they're just laughing at him. Oh, this big hero, all your big muscles, where are they now? You know, I don't know, Delilah probably in that crowd as well. Everyone's like, hey, Delilah, good job. You know? And the final scene is we see 3,000 Philistines on top of this balcony, the balcony, and underneath the balcony, held by two uh, major pillars. Samson gets there, verse 29, I'll read this. And Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Oh, the verse that we forgot is that his hair started to grow back. Samson's hair started to grow back, so, so his strength started to come back, right? And in his final moment, Samson says, let me die with the Philistines. 3,000 Philistines on the balcony. He's under the balcony. And with his final breath, he pushes these two columns, these pillars. And they come crumbling down. And with them, 3,000 Philistine leaders come crumbling down and die with Samson. 
Now, you've got to remember, what's the whole point? Why is Samson doing this? It's because God sent him to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. What's ironic about this story is Samson killed more people as he died than he did when he was alive. You know, like we read this story, right? And at the end of the day, you go, oh, good job, Samson. You know, finally, you're, you, know, you, you, you came to your senses and you finally did what you were meant to do. And I, I was asking myself this question, right? Because I've preached on Samson many times before. But do we celebrate Samson? Do we go, Samson was a great hero in the Bible? You know, I think when you're teaching um, kids and whatnot, like you kind of have to make it out like that. And, you know, God is the hero and God strengthened Samson. And Samson is a big hero and he had big muscles and he saved Israel. But you know what, I, I actually, the more that I read about the story of Samson, I, I do not celebrate Samson at all. He's an embarrassment to Christianity. He's an embarrassment to men. He, he's an embarrassment to all men with muscles, including myself. <laughs> I don't celebrate Samson at all. Samson had so much promise. God had an amazing call over his life. And actually, if you think about it, he fell so short. Samson was sexually perverted. He was arrogant. And most importantly, he was disobedient to God. Yeah, he had a few good moments. But overall in his life, he was disobedient to God. Judges 21-25 reads this. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. This is the verse that describes not just all of Israel, but even the leaders of Israel, including Samson. Samson has so much promise and potential, but just like every other judge, fell short of completely delivering Israel from their enemies. There's 12 judges in the book of Judges, and there's no one single judge that we go, wow, God sent them, and Israel is saved forever. That's why we have this cycle that went on and on and on. And then later on, after this, what Israel is going to do is they're going to cry for a king. They're going to cry for a king. You know, everyone else has got a king. We want a king to deliver us from our enemies. And even then, the kings are going to come and go in the Israelite time, in the history, and no king, no king is able to completely save their nation from the enemies of the world. Now, fast forward about a thousand years, we meet a man called Jesus. Jesus, just like Samson, was prophesied before he was born was prophesied that he would come to save his people, that he would come to rule as a great king. And the biggest difference between Samson and, and, and Jesus is they both were promised and the expectation was great on both of their lives. Yet Samson fell short just like every other human leader, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. He not only came to fulfill what was promised, but so much more. Jesus is the great judge and the great king. You know, we read a story like Samson, right? I said, you can break down the, the story of Samson into multiple sermons, talk about multiple things, but I just want to look at it in a big way. 
And we ask ourselves, well, okay, what is, what's the story of Samson? Oh, Samson. Samson. <laughs> what's the story of Samson got to do with me? Right? We need to understand that the world that we live in, right, the society that we live in right now, right, 2017, the description of what life was like in the era of the judges where there was no king and everyone did whatever they saw fit, I would think is still the, the best example of the society we live in today. We live in a society... We live in a, a culture that, that declares that, that there is no king. There is no one to rule over me. So I will just do whatever I see fit is right. We get to be king. We get to make the, the, the rules of what right and wrong is. We get to determine this. Right? Everyone gets to be their own king. See, in this kind of society, truth, absolute truth is compromised. God is just absent, right? God, no one even cares about God. You do what you want to do. You be whoever you want to be. This, this week alone, I guess, you know, and, and purposely, uh, I've been very silent on the same-sex marriage, play side vote. And purposely, I have been very silent on that. Uh, but this week, as, as, as we would know in Australia, that uh, the vote came out, 61.8% of everyone who returned their vote uh, agree that the definition of marriage should be changed from the traditional definition of man and woman to any two people. The definition should be changed to include uh, homosexual couples, okay? Now, as I said, I've, I've been silent on the issue, and I'm not going to comment too much on the issue. Uh, at the end of the day, the plebiscite is the plebiscite, and what's really, uh, I guess what we have to wait for is, is what happens with the government. We'll see what happens there with the change of law or change of definition. But watching that vote un, 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 unravel and and reading the articles about it, and reading the celebration about it, and, and whatnot. Uh, really, I, I just came down to, to this verse, and it just said, you know, in those days, uh, Israel had no king. And you just replace it with the world, right? In those days, Australia had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And that was a perfect example of the society we live in today. And so, in this kind of society, well, what, how are we saved? How, how do we become delivered from the pressures uh, you know, and the enemies within our world? And through the book of Judges, right, God continues to send judge after judge after judge. But these judges continue to fail and fail and fail and not achieve what's meant to happen. And yet we see we have Jesus. And we come to a point where we have Jesus who becomes the great king and the ultimate judge who not just saves us from this world, but saves us for all eternity. Let me tell you, in this world, it's not that we need a good government to be saved. We don't need 
perfect justice system that will fix the problems in this world. We don't need a better place. What we need is a saviour that can deliver us. Deliver us from what? From this world? No. Deliver us from sin. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from ourselves, our destructive selves. We need a saviour that can take us beyond our greatest human limitation, death. We need a saviour that can uh, invite us into his eternal kingdom. We don't need a temporary fix. We don't need behavior modification. We don't need superficial, surface level change. What we need is heart transplant that takes a heart of stone and makes it alive, heart of flesh. We need to not go from bad to good. And sometimes we think this. We think that, oh man, our society is so bad. We just need someone to come and fix it to make it good. No, no, no. We need someone to come and take our society that is dead, spiritually dead, and make us spiritually alive. And what we see through the book of Judges and what we see in our day-to-day lives today is this. Earthly leaders just don't cut it they just don't cut it you can have the greatest prime minister or the president they are not going to fix your sin problem you you can have amazing laws made and passed through government you can have an amazing justice system and that will still fall short of taking us from death to life none of these things will save our souls. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus can we be made alive again and truly be saved. Let me wrap up the whole series. What do we learn from the book of Judges? And I think there's three things that we learn. Okay? Number one, God can use anyone for his purposes. Just using Samson as the example, you know what? Samson was an utter failure. But did God use him? Yeah, he did. You know, did God use Samson to bring down the leadership of the Philistines? Yes, he did. Was Samson a a complete train wreck? Yes, he was. And yet, God still used him. It shows us. God can use anyone for his purposes the second thing that we learn is no matter how chaotic the situation gets god is still in control and this becomes one of the greatest comforts in our lives even now is that no matter what we're going through personally corporately in our country no matter what our country is going through and just because it seems like god is not here and just because it seems like god is absent does not mean that god is not in control just because it looks like the moral, the, the, the moral veins of our, our society are, are decreasing day by day does not mean that God is not in control. Because even at the worst of times, 
even when we feel that God is the most furthest away, God is always in control. Thirdly, we learn through the book of Judges that earthly leaders, including even now the leadership of our church, of our government, at the end of the day are temporary and flawed and cannot save you. And that's the great irony of the book of Judges. These judges were meant to be there to deliver the people of God, and they do for temporary periods of time at best. But this is, this is the conclusion that we have to come through through the book of Judges. Is that, yes, God can use anyone. Yes, God is in control. And every earthly leader is flawed and temporary and cannot save you. So what's the point? Actually, if you think about it, the book of Judges is very depressing. Because you're like, at the end of the book of Judges, Israel is not in a better place when they started than when they finished. They're in a worse place. So these judges, these, these leaders, some good, some not as good, they came through and they, they led. But, but it's not that the people were saved or in a better place. But what we need to learn is because we have the whole Scriptures, is that there is a great judge and the everlasting king, and, and his name is Jesus. And he is the only one that can save you. Uh, this isn't an add-on to the sermon. Okay, don't think that, okay, I'm preaching Old Testament, so let's get through the Old Testament, and okay, somehow we've got to get back to Jesus. And No, 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 the whole book of Judges points to Jesus, shows a direct comparison of the goodness and the holiness and the perfection of Jesus as judge and king compared to all the failures of the judges and the kings previous to him. What this helps us to do is, is it helps us to framework what we consider success and failure. And it's simple. The only way that we're saved from our sin, the only place that we can be saved and delivered is through Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not, hey, live a good life and believe in Jesus. No. There's no such thing as that. There's no such thing as Jesus plus gospel. It's Jesus, Jesus and Jesus, that's it. That's what we live, that's what we breathe, and hopefully as you die, that's what you will believe. That Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. I was over at a Hillsong this week, having lunch with a friend, and, and on their banner, I was going to put a photo up, it says, Jesus, the hope of humanity. And I sat there and I looked at it, you know, thinking about, you know, uh, the book of Judges, and I realized they could have put another word in there. Jesus, the only hope for humanity. Friends, I want to challenge you as we finish this series in Judges to ask you, where do you stand with Jesus? What do you think about Jesus as Lord and Savior, King and Judge? You know, sometimes we put our hope and trust in the government and the leadership of this world. Or you might even be putting your trust and hope in the leadership of this church. That is, don't do that. Don't do that. But everyone else outside of Jesus 
will be a disappointment. And what you don't want is to risk not just your life, but your eternity, your eternal life on these flawed, weak humans or any other desire in this world. If we truly believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, our response should be to seek him more, to find him more, and to follow him because he is perfect and he is eternal. Can I tell you, and I want to finish with this, you will never be disappointed. You will, be never, be, you will never be disappointed with Jesus and what Jesus has to offer. And when you stand before him after this life, and Jesus, everything that he said comes true. Everything that's promised in the Bible comes true. You will stand there before him and you will be so grateful that even though we are faithless, that he is faithful and that he is faithful to his promises to us. I really want to encourage you to really ask yourself, where do you stand with Jesus today? the great judge, the great king. Let's pray.